0: you've attended council hearings in person you've tuned in to our televised proceedings on channel 13 now you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it this is not a council hearing this is hearing the council with your host josh gibson
1: thank you deep voiced person with the funky backbeat indeed this is not a council hearing this is hearing the council You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications from the council. You might also know me from social media as at Council of DC. And uh, this is the Hearing Council podcast. We're uh, very uh, grateful and happy to have back as our guest, at-large council member Robert White. Glad to be back with you, Josh. I I think
0: it's my first time with you uh, virtually. So maybe it's the second. I can't even COVID COVID brain.
1: It's the second. But the reason why you might be a little blurry on it is it was at the very beginning. It was right after uh, the Black Lives Matter protests. And it was the heat of the heat of things. Okay, yeah. Ten ten years ago. Uh, Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah so um so how are you uh how are you holding up in this sort of second phase of uh you know beginning to get our head above water in covid
0: uh you know i, I should i should say that i'm 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 blessed i'm i'm holding up well you know i'm, I'm healthy, my, my family's uh healthy uh if, if i could complain though for a second uh, i have two two young kids uh, my oldest madison is about to turn five my youngest monroe just turned two uh, and my gray was, a my beard was a lot less gray, uh, when, when COVID started. So like every other parent, I'm so tired, like <laughs> I'm so tired. Other than that, I am great. And and it has been wonderful to spend so much time uh, with, with my kids, even if it's difficult to balance work.
1: Now I must've been in a fog because you have a Madison and a Monroe Yes, I do. Are you are you working through the presidency? Are you... What's, <laughs> what? what? Tell, tell me a bit the, about the naming protocol. The, the, the next is, is Barack, boy or
0: girl. Uh, no, so th- <laughs> this is basically uh, competition and uh, lack of imagination. So when, I never thought I would have daughters. I, I knew for a fact I would never have daughters. So I didn't even have girl names picked out, uh, but bought my first house on Madison Street. And I loved the name. And I thought, all right, well, you know, if I ever had a daughter... I love that name. And uh, that name won the competition between me and my wife for our first daughter's name. I had a great uh, M name picked out for our second daughter named after uh, my my godmother. But Christy decided uh, my wife to do some research and find an M name that I would like better than the name I had picked out. And she came home with Monroe, uh, who happened to be uh, also the, the next uh, president. Uh, and I thought it was an incredible name. It's it's powerful. It's you know it's it's strong. Uh, so I couldn't you know it's a it's a DC
1: street name, and so I, I mm-hmm. couldn't beat it. One of my uh, weirdest early memories of you was when we did a press event at the Wilson Building. Uh, you, me, and Charles Allen, where we had installed the uh, changing tables uh, finally in the men's rooms uh, yeah. as well as the uh, ladies' rooms. And so it was like, it sounds like a bad setup for a joke. Like you, me, Charles Allen and the media walked into a restroom. Um, yeah. I don't know what the punchline is, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's a different council, you know, with this younger council we have in there are a lot of children, young children being raised by the the men and the women of the council.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There, there are, and it's, it's a different council. Uh, you know, it's also, I think, a generational shift. You know, uh, you know, I'm I'm a very hands-on uh, father. Uh, you know, Charles and and, and Trayon White uh, are as well. Honestly, we we don't parent nearly as well as like Brienne makes us look bad. She can juggle things like you know without breaking a sweat. It always looked like a, a circus uh, for me. Uh, but but a funny story that I've never told about that uh, changing table. I'm a brand new council member. You know, one of my kind of first. Uh, events, the media was there. <clears throat> I'm on the way driving with my, my daughter, Madison, who was very small at the time. And all of a sudden we're driving and no, we, as soon as we get there to the building, she has a blowout in her diaper. Just an absolute <laughs> nasty, disgusting blowout. Well, I packed the diaper bag, which had exactly one wipe. And here are like the cameras, right? Rolling, watching me, a competent dad uh change the diaper and want <laughs> to change your table and I had one wipe uh it was uh you know we 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 made it as graceful as we could but uh
1: I had to to laugh about it and I actually still laugh about it to this day yeah well it's it's the thought that counts you weren't you know it wasn't like the olympics where the you know uh, you know, East German judge is holding up a, uh, you know, a number on your, uh, your diapering.
0: I, I hit it. I hit it. So, you know, I had to, I I had to fix the situation quickly after the
1: cameras went off, but I, I, I hit it in, in the time. Yeah. And I, I definitely know uh, cameos from your kids in council hearings are um, not, not that everyone would ever do a drinking game during the a council hearing, <laughs> but that would definitely be a, a road to disaster if, yes, if every would. time one of you, it's made a, a cameo. Yes, it would. Um, It happens frequently. And and I heard that the uh, uh, from social media that the beloved Ann Phelps uh, helped you out at the mayor's budget briefing with a, and, a parenting assist.
0: And Ann Phelps saved me. Um, the, the mayor called a, a budget brief and I actually asked that there be a virtual option because uh, I, I, I have uh, charge of my, my youngest um, in the mornings while, while my wife works. And, uh, and, and and the mayor said no. <clears throat> so, I, you know, I'm still a council member. I have to represent our, our residents. So I showed up with uh, with my daughter Monroe and, and hope for the best. And she actually held calm as usual until it was about time for me to speak. And then she just timed out. The internet wasn't working for some reason. So there was no way to distract her. And she just looked at me and said, Daddy, get up. And I was like, please, no, don't get up, stay down. She said, no. <laughs> And then it was my turn to talk, and I just kind of put my hand on her to make sure I knew kind of where she was. And she stayed still. And when I looked out the corner of my eye, I said, "Thank God for Ann Phelps, who sat there and occupied her." And everybody, anybody watching that uh, on DC TV saw Ann Phelps, who's like one of the smartest people in this city, but also you know killer with uh, in the clutch with uh, with, with the baby.
1: Um, Now I'm going to ask you one more sort of uh, funny anecdotal question, then we're going to get to the meat of the matter. But um, again, from social media, you uh, volunteered, I wasn't watching this particular hearing the other day, that one of your witnesses uh, came to us live from the bathroom stall at an airport. Yeah. Um, and I haven't heard the, the context beyond that. Can you can you give us quickly a thumbnail of how that came to be? V- very quickly. She, she leads a local nonprofit. and I'm, I'm not going to say
0: who it is, but I will say I have an incredible uh, respect. She was in, a, you know, I called her name. The camera came on and I see a baby changing station in what is clearly like public bathroom tiling uh, behind her. And she says, I- I'm at a, an airport. I'm uh, in, a, in a stall. I'm going to do my best. And I said, you know, God bless you. And, you know, this is one of the things that COVID allows. But what was impressive was two things. One, her camera angle was perfect. And whatever she was reading from was different than what was streaming the video. So she had this setup ready. The the, the loudspeakers are blaring. Uh, and I told her, keep going because I can hear you. And just, you know, flawless, really strong and helpful um, uh, testimony. But uh, but. Very unique. Um,
1: no, that is that is classic. That is uh, amazing. And it just shows that uh, um, the option's available to us. You That's know, right. if you don't have six hours to spend waiting patiently in the Wilson building for your turn to come That's for right. your three minutes, um, you know, you can make it work. That's right. You know, we can all make it work. That's right. Um, okay. That ends the amusing anecdote slash strange focus on public restrooms of the initial part of this interview. Um, so uh, there's a piece of legislation that you introduced recently on affordable housing. And uh, I think you want to talk a bit about that. So why don't you give me the uh, the quick uh, bio of that uh, bill?
0: Yeah, th- this is the GAIN Act. I-, I-, I just introduced it. Very excited about it. And the long and short is that it, it costs a lot less and is a lot quicker Uh, to acquire uh, existing housing for affordable housing than it is to kind of build it. So I I wrote a bill uh, that would allow DC government to go out and buy existing units, put a covenant on it and preserve it as affordable uh, housing for as long as we can negotiate it with the the landlord. So the DC government would pay the difference between uh, what a a family with more moderate uh, income can pay and the market rate rent benefit to the landlord is they get a, a lot of upfront money that they can use to make you know capital improvements on their building or do do with what they need they have sort of a guaranteed uh income but we go around the city and we acquire units this also allows us to put affordable housing in parts of the city that we just don't see it develop, like War II and, and War Three. So there, there's so many benefits to this. It's also a very market-based uh, approach. It you know, doesn't put any friction on the market. It says, look, we understand how the market works.
1: We want to work with you, but we need affordable housing. Now, the first question I had is you talk about acquiring units, but then you talk about landlords so is the government becoming the owner of the property and the landlord is a management company how how, how are we both the owner and the
0: owner? so i'm i'm trying to like not be too much of a lawyer we assent, we pay for a covenant and so uh there would be a covenant on uh however many units in a building uh that says for x number of years you cannot charge more than y amount of, of rent so the dc government would not own it cuz i don't want us you know maintaining it that's not our strong suit Uh, But we would have a covenant on it, so it would be guaranteed uh, housing that that we could uh, put families and and people in.
1: So um, so unlike kind of a housing voucher where there's sort of a, a subsidy going as long as a resident is in a unit, but technically the landlord could stop taking vouchers, this would be a permanent affordability lockdown. That's right. And there there is some overlap with the concept of of vouchers. But yes, this is a a permanent lockdown. Gotcha. Um, Now, a question about covenants. I um, live in Adams Morgan. We have our um, 18th Columbia Adams Morgan Farmers Market. And there's been an ongoing discussion about whether or not it was written if a covenant was put on that land that the farmers market needed to be maintained. That was the sort of neighborhood lore. Um, but then, when people dug down, no one could ever find a covenant. So, uh, covenants are a bit of a mystery to me. How how do those work? How do they get added? Where do they get added? What office handles it, uh, and how are they enforced? When they, they go in into the land records, I, I have not had to dig
0: into the land records in D.C., so I can't tell you which kind of basement you would have to go digging in. Uh, but when you uh, you know when you need to enforce a covenant. Or if you're you know trying to uh, sell a property, the, the lawyers will, will, will go look at the 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 land deed, the land uh records to see if there's a you know a covenant, uh, something that uh carries with it uh you know legal precedent. I've never thought about the fact that maybe it's just enough to say we have a covenant and maybe that at least buys you some some time. So I I might try that uh someday. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> uh now what um so the cost would come in the difference per unit between what the tenant uh, agrees to pay and the rent that the landlord agrees to accept under the affordability terms.
0: Sort of, and I didn't want to get too much into the weeds, but uh, the tenant would pay no more than thirty percent of uh, their their income, uh, and and so the, the 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 covenant would cover the difference between thirty uh, percent of income for someone making 30 percent of the area median income or 50 percent of someone making the area median income and the, the the market rent so the covenant would would cover that that delta for the number of years that the covenant is in 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 existence so if it's a 15-year covenant we're going to pay that entire amount up front
1: oh okay the entire amount is paid up front that's right that that's okay. the incentive right otherwise the landlords are like well
0: why don't why, why do I need your covenant? right right. yeah so we're we're basically offering them kind of upfront cash, you know, uh, guaranteed uh, occupancy. Uh, but if we don't give the cash upfront, then 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 there's really kind of no incentive for the landlord to participate.
1: they They just stay in the the regular open market. And is this something that you're hoping to try out on a pilot basis, or is this something that you hope will become one of the major tools to ensure uh, housing affordability in DC. I I think it has the potential to become one of our our major tools, but but of course,
0: I think it's wiser uh, to to start it as a, a pilot on a pilot basis so i I'm, I'm hoping that we can carve out uh a bit of money in the upcoming budget uh to try a, actually a couple uh, uh pilots on on housing because we have all the tools that anybody in the country has uh for affordable housing but but we're losing the fight right like we're nowhere near the amount of affordable housing that that we need uh for, for frankly anybody in this this city making less than probably a dollars $100, $125,000, so we got to create more tools. Uh, I, I also do believe the tools are better uh, if they are kind of based in the reality of the market. If you're trying to fight the market, then you have the potential to kind of create problems as you solve problems. Uh, I'm trying to solve problems as I solve problems, so uh, we, we have to start trying some, some new tools.
1: And how do you think this will compare against other uh, affordability tools? Um, you know, the, the um, housing preservation tax credit, or like we talked about vouchers or uh, the new uh, DOPA um, act where the district purchases the property outright. Um, you you talked about the pros, that it's, you know, more market-oriented, um, uh, predictable. Um, but how do you think cost-wise it compares?
0: Uh, cost-wise, it, it actually works out very well because, <clears throat> again, when, it's, when we exercise uh, DOPA, uh, you, you still have to pay to uh, acquire the property uh, you know you you will ha- it will take some time to figure out uh, who's going to operate and, and manage it so it, it, it's it's the type of thing that really is going to take uh some time but but i don't want to put dopa down i think it's an important tool uh, just like our, our housing uh, vouchers uh, and in our in our other tools so this just adds a new tool to our toolbox but i think gives us uh one Uh, a a reasonable expectation of of quicker uh, execution, because we don't just put out an RFP under my bill and say, hey, you know, if you know about this and you're interested, you know, come to us or don't come. We actually create a small commission of real estate experts who go out into the market to uh, affirmatively acquire units. Like we want to be aggressive in acquiring uh, affordable unit so it's it's a new tool uh, that I think again will also offer the opportunity for us to acquire some affordable housing uh in in parts of the city that just
1: don't see a lot of it and what when I, and I realize this is a bill that's just been introduced there still need to be hearings you know that, that it's a it's a brand new idea so you know I, I get that there's still uh you know the substance of it is still coming together but how will the commission decide? which units to pursue. I know geographic diversity you mentioned, uh, but how will they uh, pick and choose? Well, we, we have to leave some of this too. And that's why I
0: think it's important to have real estate experts uh, at the helm. Uh, it will be a combination of two major factors. Uh, one is cost. Uh, but the other is geography. And so what, one of the things that the bill does is it requires an annual report uh, to understand how many units in each ward we are acquiring, uh, because if if the only measure we use is cost, then we will continue to see sort of segregation of housing, uh, you know, it just will cost less. In, in in some wards and some neighborhoods of the city. And I don't want to see all of our affordable housing continue to go into the same neighborhoods. I want to see some diversity. So it, it will require, you know, we have to go in with the expectation that it's going to cost us more to acquire a unit in, in you know, Ward 3 than it will in, you know, say, uh, you know, ward, ward 8. But it's important that we do that because we, we don't want to continue to uh, feed a city that is as as segregated and, and as stratified as, as D.C. is now.
1: Now, you'd mentioned hoping to get some housing pilots uh, possibly in the budget. Um, but what is the sort of the legislative timetable you're hoping to get this bill uh, into law?
0: Well, you know, don't don't tell uh, the, the chairman, but uh, um, the, the, I, we can start this as a pilot uh i believe without uh, without passing the law you know, i mean we have a lot of tools that we use you know in the budget there are programs uh the mayor's asking us to fund they're not you know legislated you know they're uh one of the things the uh is in the mayor's budget is this thing called high dosage tutoring you know we didn't pass a law that authorized this particular tool um and and so i, I actually don't think the law has to be in effect in order for us to try the tool uh, but but it allowed us to introduce the idea, and my hope is that we can at least get some funding for a, for a pilot program going in this budget.
1: Right, because it's simply an agreement, I mean a binding gr- agreement, but an agreement between the government and the landlord. There's no reason the government can't enter into an agreement with the landlord. That's right. um, you know, having a legislative framework um and the commission together, you know, uh, I think um, reinforces that it makes it more robust. but I, I hear what you're saying and agree that it seems like you could put that into place in a few buildings simply through uh, uh, just signing up a contract. Yeah. Um, another affordable housing idea I know you had uh, in the past, and I'm not sure how active it is, but given the, uh, you had introduced this prior to COVID, um, but now after COVID, it seems to make even more sense, is the conversion of office property to residential. Um, and with the possibility that we're all going to be working from home, or you know, possibly hybrid, uh, people are not going to need the office space. We have all these office buildings downtown, pure office, um, and it's unclear what the demand for that's going to be moving forward. Yeah. Um, so, what is the status of um, your uh, conversion effort? What do you think the prognosis for that
0: is? Uh, we, we, I think we're back up at bat uh, with that. It, it's an idea, uh, the, as, as you said, to convert. Uh, underutilized office buildings into uh, uh, residential, particularly focus on workforce housing. Uh, I, I think folks didn't give the idea enough credit uh, uh, four years ago or so when I when I introduced it. Uh, but but I certainly have recognized looking at the incredible uh, vacancy rates that have. Uh, come about because of COVID. Uh, I think so many uh, people are realizing that they can work and prefer to work for many of them remotely. At least sometimes, it's going to change the footprints uh, that that people need. Uh, there's going to be a lot more virtual operations. So uh, we we had we already had a market uh, that was pretty soft, a commercial uh, market that was pretty soft uh, in the city before COVID. It's really in tough shape now. So so this is an idea that that really. Kind of meets meets the present need. We need a whole lot more housing, uh, and and it seems like we need a whole lot less uh, office space. So uh, it is time, you know. I, I, again, people gave the idea short shrift uh, four years ago, uh, but it's something that I'm I'm pushing again because it is important uh, that we 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 kind of deal with the reality of where we are post COVID. Now, uh, I, I just don't think we're going back to the type of uh, work environments we had before. It, it'll look similar, but uh, we're not going to see. You know, every employee in the office nine to five. And and so, you know, I think that uh, we, we have a way to respond to that.
1: Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, DC, thank God, is doing so much better as a 24 hour city than it was, you know, folks who were here 15, 20 years ago, remember downtown, that the, you know, all there were were Oban Pan and, you know, subways, and they'd all close at three because they didn't do any dinner business. And yeah. downtown was just deserted. And thank God we're not there anymore. But, just imagine what uh, you know the Farragut area would be like if there were a bunch of apartments mixed in there that would be a whole different neighborhood with extraordinary proximity uh, to downtown um, but right now it's it's all hundred percent office that's right that's right and you know when if you look at the uh, plan
0: that Mayor Williams uh, created I don't remember if it was the, the term he used or not but but he wanted to create some of our, uh, downtown neighborhoods is, is sort of 24 uh, 7 uh, locations, and, and so we have seen some of this uh, develop in, like Gallery Place, where there was no residential there when I was growing up. And in fact, there was a secret parking lot that I could always count on when I went to the to the clubs down downtown uh, that we, that that sat in the footprint that is now uh, Capital One uh, Arena, but it was deserted uh, in the evenings. And now you have thousands of people living down there. And we we have to push that a little uh, further south, you know, more toward the uh, the downtown core and uh, I guess uh, west as as well. I had to get my bearings. Yeah.
1: My big, my only logistical question about converting office to residential is plumbing. I mean, obviously there's a ton of demolition, and but I just you know, in an office building you tend to have a couple restrooms on each floor, whereas for residential all of a sudden there has to be plumbing everywhere. But. Uh, yeah it yeah,
0: there, there are things but i mean one of the things that's important to recognize the uh office to of residential convergence uh happen already uh we have several examples of them in in dc uh and not and not every building works uh the uh the the space the height requirements for each floor are different uh for apartments than they are for offices uh so some offices are built with you know kind of shorter levels uh, that, you know, you you just can't convert it, uh, but but many of our buildings can be converted, and we've done it many times. We, we just haven't done it in a partnership with D.C. government so that there's a focus on uh, affordability, and, and that's what's different here. Is I, I want us to incentivize uh, the market to act on this, and I want D.C. Uh, to pay uh, some of this, uh, really a public-private partnership, uh, so that we are incentivizing the creation of a significant amount of affordable housing, workforce housing, when we do these
1: conversions right i mean i can think of one example that that is already in place right where the pride parade starts out dupont circle right behind that little gas station it used to be a yeah. congressional quarterly or something like that that's right that's And right. that i know is because there's always folks out on the balconies that yeah. it used to be at the beginning of pride um, there are people living in that building now that's that right. are getting to enjoy uh, pride yeah. so nice one to know up west Say that again there's some really nice ones in southwest as well oh, okay yeah um yeah and i know nationally and internationally this is something that people have been doing for a while and post covid you know like we both said it makes a ton of sense so so i'll be glad glad to see that back on the agenda um now let's pivot uh to the budget um uh, i know that the um because there's this extra uh, federal COVID money flowing, it seems like this is the most consensual uh, budget release I've ever seen, where folks seem happy. The mayor and the council are getting along and I haven't heard any major gripes. Um, that's no fun. Um, so do you have any major uh, complaints or gripes to shake it up a little bit? Or are you pretty happy with this proposal?
0: Yeah, I mean, so it's it's a balance, right? Um, You know, I don't want to, you know, kind of throw grenades for for the sake of you know throwing throwing grenades. Uh, We all expected the city to be in a much more difficult position. The federal government chipped in two and a half billion dollars. You know, I don't know when we will ever see that type of an infusion of federal cash. Uh, in the future, and, and so we were able to fund a lot of things that that we didn't think we we'd be able to fund, and, and I want to give the mayor and her team credit. Um, if I if I had a couple of criticisms, what I would say is um, the. I believe with with an unprecedented amount of cash flowing into the district, I think it's important that the budget be transformative. Right. It has to make some things better than they were before, not just push everything that was along. Um, and, and, and so I, I don't think the, the budget is is transformative. Uh, you know, transformative is uh, universal broadband, universal early childhood uh, education. Uh, finding a way to strengthen our our workforce program so that we really are starting to pull in uh, all these folks in d c who have been watching the city build around them for for so long. Um, that's not what what we do. Uh, I, I would also say that there, you know, and, and I think some of this does come from uh, not having a lot of time to sort through the federal funds. There, there are a number of ideas in the budget that just aren't fully thought out yet that make me a, a little uncomfortable. So one of the budget items I mentioned earlier because it, it caught my attention uh, is this what, what they call high dosage tutoring. Uh, and I, I asked, you know, the mayor and and, and the education folks, well, what's the difference between high dosage tutoring and, and tutoring? You know, it just sounds better. Right. And uh, I asked the superintendent of education, you know, is this going to happen during the school day, after the school day, before the school day? They don't know yet. How many groups are going to uh, do it? Well, they don't know yet. How are you going to evaluate which ones are working or whether the entire program is? We don't know yet. So um, so so there are some kind of raw ideas in, in the budget, uh, but, but we need to sort through it. And, and again, the, the, the administration didn't have a ton of time to sort through. Uh, the, the federal dollars. And there are always a lot of needs. So if you fund one thing, that means you're not funding another. Uh, so so it's all a balance. And, you know, we we, we got to get through this together. And so I, I I will work with the the mayor and her team and my council colleagues to, to kind of do the best we can.
1: One thing I've never understood was how, if the council decided to profoundly change the mayor's proposal, because the mayor puts a proposal in front of the You're talking my language, I, Dennis. Let's, let's go. go. Is it I, I, I don't know, in my seven years, it, it seems like the there's only, I don't know if it's a time limit or a staff limit or what it is. How big could we go in terms of deviation from what the mayor puts in front of us?
0: There are two problems. This bothers me because you know I, I spent um, a decent amount of my career before the council on Capitol Hill. the The president's budget proposal. Ain't nothing but a proposal. You know, Congress does whatever it wants to do because it has the power of the purse. So I came to the council like, yeah, we had the power of the purse. Nope. <laughs> uh, there are two, two issues. One is cultural. The council just doesn't take on that role. And, and I and I don't think that's uh, the right move for the council. I like that we are more collegial than the federal government, but there are times where it's appropriate to challenge the other bodies of government. And, and this isn't a place where the council does it. The other place I ran into trouble, once I started chairing a committee, I said, okay, well, I am going to, you know, challenge some things. Nope. The CFO stopped me and said, I'm not going to let you change uh, anything major about the budget because the, the CFO's philosophy was, if the mayor said she needs that money, then she needs that money. And uh, you know, I'm not going to let you cut any spending that the mayor said she needs. Uh, because then the the city uh, wouldn't be able to meet its its obligations. That is ridiculous and uh, not in accordance with DC law or the role of the CFO. Uh, so I've, I've raised that with uh, with 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 my colleagues. It's it's sort of a a boring. It's a frustrating issue, but it's a boring one. Uh, so it it hasn't unfortunately I think gotten the uh, the the traction that that it needs. But I, I'm with you. That's the type of question that that we need to ask. And I you know I, I do that rabble rousing uh, every once in a while. Not not to rabble rouse, but to really kind of you know it's a very substantive issue, uh, but not one that I've seen the uh, appetite uh, of the council to to dig into.
1: Yeah, I mean I'd be curious to see. I don't even know how you'd study this, but to see. The percent deviation from what the mayor proposed and what the council put out minuscule. What what the difference was, and if it varies substantially year to year, or if we're talking a kind of, yeah. you know, a couple percent bump. Yeah. Um, what to your second point about the CFO? How do you think having an interim CFO in place this year is going to impact that consideration? Is that going to be more? Um, do you do you think he'll be more uh, tentative, or do you think there'll be a little more uh, wiggle room potentially? I, I don't think there will be more more wiggle room uh,
0: b- because in in our interim CFO, very very talented guys who's been with the office for, for years. But you know, one in- interims, regardless of the kind of uh, you know what position they're they're in, tend not to make a whole lot of waves. They try to keep the boat moving but the cfo for the city uh is historically and, and for good reason very conservative so um uh, so a, <laughs> like a conservative interim you know i don't expect to uh to 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 open up great doors but you never know uh he may read the law differently may read the laws i read the law uh and and offer uh, that opportunities but 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 i haven't broached it with them yet and and i and i will so we we shall see
1: what, what are your top couple uh, asks that you uh, either uh, put into the mayor before uh, she released her, her budget and or that you will go to the chairman with yes. uh, in terms of changes to what's proposed?
0: So there, there are several things I I'd, I'd written to the mayor asking her to fund and, and she did. And, and I'm uh very, very grateful uh for that. And 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 I also give a lot of kudos to to the, the the people and the advocates who who were advocating for these things. Uh an LGBTQ community center. Uh we really need one. Uh there's some I put some funding in the budget for it last year. The mayor put some uh in for it this year, so that is great. Uh, funding the Restore the Vote Act, uh, which, which I passed that allows incarcerated residents uh, to vote. That is so important. Uh, Bill, I just passed um, assessing the impact of, uh, on children and families of having incarcerated parents, uh, s- several other uh, things that i had asked for, school-based mental health and, and some additional money for, for housing. Uh, what I still would like to see, uh, and, and I'm just really dead set on the importance of this, uh, is us funding uh, Birth to Three, uh, really putting us on the road to universal early childhood education. That's so important uh, for, for us as, as a city. Um, and, uh, and I think that has to continue to be really a, a
1: key plank in, in our vision for the city going forward. And that, but that is a pretty, as a pretty large price tag. It, it is. Um,
0: $60 million. Uh, but but we are talking a, a $17.5 billion budget. You know, So not to say that it's easy, but is it doable?
1: If we prioritize it, it, it absolutely is. And what is the risk of um, when the federal money goes away in a couple of years? Are we setting ourselves up for sustainable program expansion, or are we going to be hitting a wall in a couple of years?
0: Well, we couldn't obviously use the uh, federal money for uh, for the things that we're going to have to fund in perpetuity unless uh, we create a, a funding mechanism uh, for that uh, going forward. So, the spending on strategic on on federal money uh, has to be uh, strategic. Uh, but the majority of our budget is isn't federal, uh, you know, uh, 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 stimulus dollars. The majority of our our budget is is locally uh, raised dollars and and the same kind of federal uh, appropriations that every jurisdiction gets.
1: Um, well, uh, we're just about out of time, unfortunately. Um, one more closeout question. I wanted to ask uh, what your take was on cicadas. Do you think they're a uh, creepy but, uh, but marvelous uh, element of nature, or do you think they're door stamp thing that ever happened. And you can't wait for uh, August around.
0: look, they they only come out once every uh, 17 years and they, they have a lifespan this quick. So I say, look, have a good time. Only problem is I can't take phone calls outside my house right now because they are so loud. It sounds like a house alarm outside my my house. Uh, But you know, they're they're cool. You know, we won't have to worry about them for another 17 years. So I I say, look, let let the cicadas live their, their little bit of life. And what does what do the girls think? They, well, they the my my youngest Monroe absolutely loves them. She's a big bug, big bug. She likes to, you know, touch them and, and hold them. My oldest, once she realized she loved them too and would hold them, but once her friends got afraid of them, now she's afraid of them. But you know. Peer pressure is the worst. <laughs>
1: That's right. I didn't know it kicked in so early. So I'm I'm learning that lesson now. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the same page with you. I just it's like if you invented a fictional bug that only came out every 17 years, no one would read your book, no one would buy it because it's so incredible, and yeah, the fact I, that it actually is a thing, yeah. is is breathtaking. It is. Um, well, I'm glad we bookended our our intelligent conversation of affordable housing and budget with public restroom and cicada stories. That's right. Yeah, but, uh, I used to say in the intro to the show, a spoonful of sugar helps medicine go down. So uh, hopefully we balance the two uh, pretty carefully. Um, But thank you again so much, Councilmember, for your time. Uh, Very grateful for that. I know this is the the busiest uh, time of year, so thank you so much. I appreciate Uh, you For being with us. No problem. And uh, uh, viewers, listeners, uh, please remember to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search under Hearing the Council. Uh, We are on also DC Radio 96.3 on your FM HD4 dial or dcradio.gov. Once again, thank you. I'm Josh Gibson, and this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Take care, councilman. Have a good week. Thank you. Bye-bye.